You're listening to the Opportunity Zones podcast. Get ready to grow your wealth with insights and strategies for qualified opportunity fund investors. And now, here's your host, Jimmy Atkinson. Welcome to the Opportunity Zones podcast. I'm Jimmy Atkinson. Economically speaking, we are in somewhat uncertain times. The specter of negative investor sentiment, rising interest rates, and persistent inflation have put some stress on capital markets as of late. So where are investors able to find opportunity in times of stress? Joining me today to discuss this topic and much more, all things OZ, is Taylor Trotloff. Taylor leads capital markets at Starpoint Properties, and she joins us today from Beverly Hills, California. Taylor, great to see you again. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? Great. Great to see you, Jimmy. Um, I know it's been about a year since we first met, and it's been a whirlwind being on some of your events uh, like OZ Pitch Day. So I'm super happy to be here with you today. Fantastic. Uh, Great to have you here as always, Taylor. Now, my audience, which is mostly high net worth investors, advisors, and other Opportunity Zone stakeholders, um, they're likely already familiar with Starpoint Properties because you've participated in so many of my events. You've been on OZ Pitch Day a couple times this year. And uh, so a lot of people may have some familiarity with Starpoint Properties. But for those who may be unfamiliar, maybe they're new to OZs, maybe they haven't been on one of the events in the past, can you briefly explain who Starpoint Properties is, uh, how the firm operates within the Opportunity Zones industry? Yeah, so Starpoint was founded in 1995 in Beverly Hills, California. Our founder and CEO is Paul Danishrad. He he's pretty well known within the Los Angeles real estate community. Uh, he built this company truly from the ground up and into what it is today. Starpoint has about $1 billion in assets under management, and this is split between commercial and multifamily. We primarily focus on the Western United States. So our target markets are Texas and Colorado, and then the states west west of these. Um, in the last couple of years, we've gotten into opportunity zone investing. And we can you know dive more into that later. Uh, and I'm sure I'm sure your guests are pretty familiar with with Opportunity Zone projects. So that's how we we got connected. Yeah, that's uh, that's correct. And we will talk a little bit more about where you're investing specifically within Opportunity Zones uh, a little bit later during today's program. Uh, I actually wanted to get a little bit more about you, though, Taylor. I'd like to introduce you to the audience a little bit more learn about your career arc. How did you get to where you are today? And what's your role at Starpoint Properties? Great. And and one thing I want to mention too with Starpoint is that we don't just do opportunities on projects. Uh, Our investments run the gamut. So we have like cash flow, you know, current income focused offerings, along with shorter term, like high IRR type projects. Uh, I, so I started out my career, I studied real estate at USC And then I started out on the debt and equity team at JLL here in Los Angeles. So I was focused on raising debt and institutional equity from a variety of corporate sponsors. Uh, I worked with groups like Blackstone, uh, Aries Apollo, et cetera, those those sorts of um, companies and raised in aggregate about $1 billion in debt and equity with, with the team there. And then I went over to City View to do acquisitions. And so I was underwriting, typically underwriting value add and multifamily projects in the Western United States. And then an executive with, with Starpoint actually reached out to me uh, and proposed that I that I come over here to help build out this high net worth investor platform. Starpoint already had a pretty strong base of, of high net worth investors and most of whom are, are, are local to Los Angeles, but there was a recent push to, to build this out. And so I came over here to, to pick that up and, and you know, it's been, it's been great. 
No, that's great. You were headhunted. It sounded like that's, uh, that's awesome. Good for you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was it, more personal than that. It was, I have a personal connection with, with uh, the head of development at Starpoint. We, we met through the USC community a couple of years back. And so we typically would get co- coffees every quarter. I have, I have several mentors that I, that I keep up to date with. And, uh, and then when the opportunity presented itself, I jumped on it. That's awesome. Well, let's uh, let's dive into the meat of our discussion today, which is, hey, what's going on with the economy? What's going on with interest rates? What are investors to do? Where can you find some value and some opportunity given all of the macroeconomic headwinds or uncertainty? Taylor, how exactly would you characterize the current state of the economy based on your expertise and who you've been talking to and 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 what impact is that having on private real estate? I mean, my short answer, I would say it's complicated. Uh, I, I think it's what's interesting about the economy right now is that the unemployment rate is, is pretty low. I think it's around 3.6%, you know, across the US, somewhere in that in that ballpark. Um, but then you have this dynamic where interest rates are at all-time highs. I mean, at least in the last 10 years, interest rates have not come anywhere close to where they are today. And this is putting a strain on the overall financial economy. I mean, it's really affecting uh, venture capital, private equity, and, and real estate. And I would say it's a, it's predominantly affecting the real estate industry the most. Um, granted, maybe I you know know this industry more because this is this is what I work in. And I don't think we've fully seen like the full effects of of the rise in interest rates. And I think that this is a story that's going to keep playing out over the next year. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, it, it is at the time that we're in right now, the the macroeconomic environment that we're in. It's it's unlike anything that I, I think it's unlike anything we've ever seen, really, um, in recent memory, at least, with interest rates as high as they are and having risen as quickly as they did, and yet still we have uh, GDP growth, positive GDP growth. We have uh, very low unemployment, very tight labor market. I think you're right, though. I think you know, these these indicators do have somewhat of a lag. These effects have somewhat of a lag. I think you're exactly right. This is con- going to continue to play out over the next several months and into 2024, these interest rate hikes. I think they will have an impact eventually, uh, but maybe we just haven't quite gotten to where the Fed wants the economy to be just yet. What impact exactly are interest rates having on private real estate? Yeah, I would say that... The main impact is that they're, you know, an expansion of cap rates. We've seen a little bit of of, of cap rate expansion, um, but we're still in, in a dynamic today where if you're underwriting a value add multifamily assets, which are existing um, multifamily, you know, apartment buildings that are typically built 1950s and newer, you know, some of them could be early 2000s, but it's typically an existing multifamily asset where you're going to buy, renovate, raise the rents, uh, and that's typically the business plan, and. The problem with these types of, of investments, and not just multifamily, but value add existing assets in general, and, and especially core core deals, is that you're going to be entering into a negative leverage. So if your cap rate, you know, if you have a three cap or four cap, and then your debt all in is is north of seven percent, I mean, you're you're in a negative leverage environment. You're essentially losing um, money, and at least for the first year until you effectuate the business plan and and, uh, and then you know raise NOI, et cetera. And so a lot of sponsors don't want to take on that risk of, of entering into like a negative leverage type of deal with the hopes that they're going to, you know, turn around the business plan and it'll work out in two, three years down the line. So I have a lot more confidence right now in 
and it's not to say this is the case with all uh with all deals you know of course like you can find there's still deals to be to be had and if anything you know because of the overall market sentiment there there could be some great like needle in the haystack opportunities to be found um i will say that I think it's a different dynamic with with development because with development you 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 actually might be benefiting more from what's going on because you know construction financing is harder harder to come by today and uh, so some not every group's able to get their construction projects built and underway and you have projects that if they're starting today depending on whether what asset class it's in if it's multifamily they they might not be fully built and stabilized for another two to three years you know I would I would say two years. And so that could be interesting because it, be, it could be coming out, it could be coming online as we're coming out of this current environment. And if you have less supply and less projects being built now, then you could be pretty competitive by getting a development project going today. The I, I would say, you know, there's still great opportunities on the value add space, but they're just becoming increasingly challenging to find. Yeah, there's some, uh, so there's some great opportunities if you're a developer and you're willing to take on that development risk, given the challenging economic conditions currently. But if you come out of it on the other side, you're in good shape, then, well, you might be one of the only ones around delivering new product because uh, development's been been tough to come by lately. Uh, any predictions for where you think interest rates might go next? What do you think the Fed has up its sleeve or in store for the rest of this year or 2024? Uh, right, and 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 right now, just to paint a picture, we're recording this episode toward the end of September 2023, and interest rates are, I think, they're five and a quarter percent. Is the is the uh, federal funds rate? So for uh, as of yesterday, SOFR was five point three percent. So yeah, you're right on the right on the money there. So I will say that's a million dollar question. Uh, whoever can accurately predict rates, I mean, you that's that's all you need to do to succeed if you can predict rates right now. That's uh, that's what's on everyone's mind. I think if you look at groups like Kensington and Chatham, they it's it's their job to create SOFR forward curves, you know, to to predict movements and rates. And 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 at times, oftentimes these are at best predictions because sometimes they're if you look back, the the curve that they project does not always materialize. So as of right now, if you look at the SOFR forward curve, it's projected that SOFR will increase to about it'll increase another 50, I want to say 30 basis points in December. And then it will stabilize and then start to drop off. Um, but it looks like it will remain around 3.9% to 4.2% over the next 10 years. And, and it's very surprising to see that. So, it, you know, that may or may not materialize, but that, that, you know, that's one group that is projecting SOFR to remain elevated over the next decade. Um, and that would have huge implications throughout the real estate industry. I think mainly there would be like a reset in valuations. Uh, at the same time, though, however, I think the long-term fundamentals of real estate are are really strong. Meaning that, meaning that on one hand, uh, the high interest rates almost helps uh, at least the multifamily side because if as interest rates rise, you're going to have less homeowners selling their their houses because then they're going to have to leave and take on new financing. So they might be locked in at a at a two percent, and now they, if they sell, they'll they'll end up you know the rate could be tripled and so that prices them out of of like getting a a better quality home or an equivalent home so that people are remaining in their homes for longer and then if you're a buyer and and you're looking at taking on a, a mortgage then you know your rates going to be substantially higher so that just that that drastically impacts your buying power so more and more 
uh, people who could have became homeowners are going to be uh, long-term renters or, or permanent renters at the, the rate that we're going. And so the fundamentals for multifamily are there. And I'm very confident in real estate long-term. I just think that we have some more short-term kinks to, to work through. Yeah, totally agree and totally understood there. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned that we might have these high rates for, for the next decade. And it sounds strange to us because I think we've been trained for the last 15 years on a very low interest rate environment. But in fact, if you look back over the, the course of the 20th century, the, the last 15 years have actually been the anomaly, right? I mean, the, 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 the amount of uh, free capital, so to speak, or free cash um, has been pretty, pretty amazing the quantitative easing that the, uh, that the Fed had to um, implement in the wake of the financial crisis of 08, 09. Now we're getting to a point where, wait a second, we've got some actual uh, cost on, on cash here, some cost on debt. It's, we, we don't have zero interest rates anymore. We've got interest rates north of 4%, 5%. We've got, you know, mortgage rates are creeping up, uh, you know, well above 7%. They're about to touch 8% potentially um, in the next, any day now, really, possibly in the next few weeks. But is it, isn't it just a return to the old, old normal? How the heck did we ever get deals done <laughs> in the, uh, in the 1970s and 80s and 90s? I mean, there must be some uh, trick to it. And maybe you're right. Maybe all of this is to say that, hey, we have to have a repricing uh, at some point in the market. We have to have um, some values adjustment. Is, is that what you're anticipating if interest rates do stay elevated? I think it's a combination of, of yeah, maybe a slight uh, expansion in, in, in cap rates. But at the same time, I think that what we're seeing now will be a return to the fundamentals. Uh, over the last 15 years, I mean, growth investing was much more popular than than value investing, which is what you know Warren Buffett uh, you know, was raised on. And Benjamin Graham, if you're familiar with, with, with uh, the okay. intelligent investor. And I think that not just with real estate, but with all investing as a whole, I think you're going to see really a return to the fundamentals where people are going to be looking at, does this make sense? The supply and demand side, like pr projecting out cash flows, uh, the risk, the the spread over the risk-free return rate has has narrowed. And it just it, taking on the same level of risk today just doesn't necessarily make as much sense. So I will say this might even position real estate favorably, you know, in relation to venture capital investments, uh, private equity investments because I think the fundamentals really are are there. Good. Shifting gears for a moment here now. Um let's talk private capital markets related, of course, uh with interest rates having gone up, um, you know, it's 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 become a little bit more difficult to secure financing. Um also investor sentiment seems to have turned negative in, in the last 12 to 18 months. Anecdotally, I can tell you it seems like a lot of um, deal sponsors and, and fund managers have had tougher time raising equity this year compared to previous years. How has that impacted you? How has it impacted the industry more broadly with, with these, I, I call it private capital markets freeze up, essentially. Uh, and and where, where are you finding sources of financing and how has that changed over the last year or so? I wouldn't call it necessarily a freeze up. I would say actually, I've still I've actually been actively raising money, uh, equity from high net worth investors, and typically, you know, on a weekly, monthly basis, we still have new investors coming into Starpoint. So, I, I and I would say that retail investors, it's one of those things that you people know that you can't time the market, and, and that's like a general consensus. And so, 
yes, maybe there's some uncertainty, but you can't really predict the future. And it's, I would say it's still better to be in the market and invest versus just waiting it out and not investing because you don't know, like you might be waiting for a bottom that never comes. It's one of those things. Uh, and then if you're going to be, if you're going to invest, typically you want a diversified portfolio. So you want a portfolio with bonds, uh, equities, and, and alternatives, pri- primarily r- real estate. So I, I don't think it's as much of a stress on the, on the, you know, retail capital raising side. Where I see the biggest impact is on the debt financing side. For example, the regional banks are, are having a lot of uh, trouble right now and have, have largely pulled back. And so that that was a, a huge source of funding before. Now I would say that the debt funds are, are more active. Um, and, and it, But across the board, banks are much more diligent on their, their underwriting. Uh, they're sizing to higher debt yields and debt service coverage ratios. And so a lot of deals that maybe could have obtained financing three years ago, they, they can't obtain financing today because they might not be able to cover um, cover the debt service at the right, like DSCR ratio. Yep. That, 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 that's gone up and it's been more challenging for, uh, for certain borrowers to, to cover that debt. Uh, how, how has it changed for you or for Starpoint properties? Are you, are you putting less debt into new deals? Are you, are you having to raise more equity? No, no, I would say that we, I think Starpoint's unique in the sense that, you know, this is a well-established sponsor. Starpoint has been around for about 30 years. Starpoint owns uh, two of the largest and tallest office properties in Beverly Hills and has, you know, several marquee like legacy assets. Uh, And so this is just a different situation where given Starpoint's reputation and diversified holdings, we're able to obtain financing that other groups may not be able to necessarily obtain. And then we also have strong relationships with with our existing lender uh, and a few a few different uh, a few different lenders that we work closely with. And in terms of the leverage we'll typically underwrite to anywhere from 55% LTC up to 65% LTC. And then as part of our, our due diligence process, we will usually obtain term sheets from a variety of life codes, banks, debt funds, and we will model out each scenario. And then we will go with the, with the option that makes the most sense for the deal. So have your sources of financing not really changed all that much over the last 12 to 18 months? No, I would say, yeah, it might be, it might take a little bit longer to, to procure financing. Um, but it's not really, I would, I wouldn't say that we're having an issue. Like we're still able to get constructions, loans closed. We're still, we're still able to get acquisition financing. So I, I think that it, there are other sponsors though, that are really grappling with this though. Okay. Given what we, all that we've talked about, the macroeconomic uncertainty, the interest rate environment, uh, negative investor sentiment, some challenges for real estate in general, broadly. Where are you finding value these days and where should investors look for opportunity or value these days? Yeah, I think that you want to look at, you know, if it's an existing asset, so if it's something with a value add strategy, uh, you want a healthy cash on cash. So you you don't want all of the return to be made on the back end, meaning you don't want it to be all predicated on a great exit at a at a optimistic exit cap. So you want to see that the that the deal makes sense kind of year by year as well. And then I think how how we're able to find value and differentiate ourselves is just our strong broker relationships. So 
you know, we're getting shown deals that other groups may not necessarily be be shown. And, and we're all, we're able to get like a first look at, at some of these potential investments just because groups know and brokers know that we will close. Like if we put in an offer, we we can we're hundred percent going to come through and close. And that's not that's not true necessarily for every sponsor across the board. Um a lot of a lot of sellers are looking for like certainty of execution. Good. And let's um Let's let's zoom out a little bit more. Or no, let's zoom in. Get my zoom out, my zoom in mixed up. Let's zoom in now to exactly what Starpoint Properties is doing, and in particular in the uh, opportunity zone space. Where are you guys investing, and which sectors are you most bullish on? What markets do you like? So we we primarily focus on on industrial development and multifamily development when it comes to opportunity zone projects. We actually just wrapped up our raise for two different projects and we're under construction now, so it's very exciting. Uh, one of them is called Lotus Point and Lotus Point will be a 245 unit multifamily garden style community in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, in, in Mesa, Arizona actually, but on the, on the Western part of, of Mesa and close to Tempe, if you know that, that pocket. And I'm really excited about that project. We just broke ground a couple months ago. And then we also closed our, our equity and debt financing on Point Central. And Point Central will be a 157,000 square foot industrial project in North Denver, in the central North Denver submarket. And this is about a 10 minute drive north of downtown Union Station in that urban core. So it's, it's pretty unique to even have an opportunity zone project so close to a a downtown core like uh, like downtown Denver, um, but Denver is one of the more like opportunity zone friendly cities. So we were able to. And that was the project that you presented at OZ Pitch Day back yes, over. Yes, yes, that summer. was that project, and and we actually had a really successful raise, and so we we brought in at least ten new investors, uh, new investors to Starpoint through through um, our efforts over the last few months. So we closed both the construction financing and the equity financing for Point Central and Lotus Point, and then we broke ground on on both of them. Good. So industrial, multifamily, uh, yeah. in the West primarily the the industrial in Denver, the multifamily in Mesa, Tempe, Phoenix region. Uh, what what do you what what is Starpoint Properties focused on next? What are you raising for next? Uh, what other markets and sectors do you like? We have um we have another land site that's that we own and it's fully entitled and that is in Mesa Arizona um and we have plans to potentially build 550,000 550,000 square feet of industrial which would be a pretty pretty large project and that total project capitalization is about 85 million dollars um we have not formally launched that one yet and we're still working through working through some diligence diligence on the on the opportunity we are also actively reviewing and, and underwriting opportunity zone land sites. So we're still evaluating potential opportunities. I would say we're going to be focusing on industrial multifamily and then in our target states, which are Texas, Colorado, Arizona, Nevada, and California. Very good. Um, Taylor, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. We're kind of wrapping up our episode here. We're running out of time. Kind of a uh, catch-all grab bag, uh, choose your own adventure question for you here to kind of wrap things up. Any other trends that you're keeping an eye on, either in opportunity zones or maybe more broadly, private equity, real estate investing? Uh, what are you keeping an eye on? What do you think investors should keep their ear to the ground on? Yeah, I would say I'm looking at the RIA space because I see it kind of as almost a gateway into 
you know, it's it, the, the retail high net worth investor channel. It's pretty fragmented, but the RAs you know, have kind of a hold on this. And something that's really interesting is I, I've heard from multiple groups that in the last couple of years, there's been a huge shift where RAs are increasingly becoming more interested in looking at alternatives, specifically real estate versus, you know, historically RAs were more focused on equities and bonds. Uh, and now, now they're looking for more real estate opportunities. And I also am seeing that more so too with the, with the retail investors that I'm speaking with on the phone, how, how they're trying to shift more of their portfolio into real estate and less so into equities. And I think that we're only seeing the beginning of this, of the shift and this shift could be transformative for the, for the real estate industry. Well, I think you're spot on there. That's actually the entire thesis behind why Andy and Michael and I founded Wealth Channel is that very point that you just made was that there's this huge surge in popularity and in growth of alternative investments within the retail space, high net worth, direct individual investors and their advisors, RIAs in particular, uh, it's becoming much less institutionalized. This the Real estate investing, the types of projects that we're talking about, this used to be solely the realm of institutional investors, family offices, and the ultra wealthy. And it's really come down market in a good way. These types of products have become very democratized over the last 10 plus years or so. And I think there's a lot more room for growth there. So I I, I love that sentiment, Taylor. And I, I 100% yeah. agree with it. I, I like that's to exactly say that why, That's exactly why we exist at Wealth Channel and uh, it kind of as an offshoot of our Opportunity Zones platform. Definitely. And, and that's why I love what I do so much because when I say that I'm helping investors build generational wealth, like I, I meet it and, and I want to stand by that. And I think that it's a really exciting time that, that we're in this dynamic where we can actually help people access commercial real estate projects that historically, even five years ago, majority of people would never have been able to access these kinds of investments. Absolutely. Um, it was not to say that the 60-40 stock bond portfolio is dead, but I think there's definitely room or a case to be made that maybe a 50-30-20 should be considered. 50% stocks, 30% bonds, 20% alternatives such as real estate. I, I think we'll be seeing, I think we'll be seeing more, more than 20% going into alternatives over the next few I, years. I was I was just about to say that asset allocation I gave just an example. Make up the numbers however you want to. There's no there's no real right or wrong way to put together a portfolio and it, and it definitely depends on your risk tolerance and your investment horizon as well. And um, none of this is investment advice. So consult with your advisor before making any investment decisions or portfolio construction decisions. Uh, Taylor, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for sharing all of your insights. Before we go, can you tell our audience where they can go to learn more about you and Starpoint Properties? Yeah, so our company website is starpointproperties.com. So it's pretty easy to find. My email is T at starpointproperties.com. And then you could also add me on LinkedIn, which is Taylor Trotloff, uh, my LinkedIn. And I, and I post updates on our projects and you know what we're working on. So I'm looking forward to connecting with you. Excellent. Yeah, please do go connect with Taylor Trotloff. We're connected on LinkedIn, as I am with most of my guests on this show who accept my invites. You accepted mine. Thank you. Uh, for my audience out there, as always, I'll have show notes available, as always at our website, opportunitydb.com slash podcast. I'll make sure to link to Starpoint Properties, to Taylor's email address and her LinkedIn account as well. We'll have links to all of the resources 
that Taylor and I discussed on today's show. And please be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube or your favorite podcast listening platform to always get the latest episodes. Taylor, again, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking some time to spend with me and my audience today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Jimmy, for having me. Have a great rest of your day. That's it for today's show. Thanks for listening. As a reminder, you can find us online at opportunitydb.com. The Opportunity Zones podcast is produced by Opportunity DB by Wealth Channel. This podcast is available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and all other podcast listening platforms. Just hit that subscribe or follow button so you get all of our new episodes as we release them. And we'll be back soon with another exciting episode.